Scripture says. Um, we approach now to the last chapter in the book of Romans. And uh, as we have been studying through the book of Romans, it has been a, a particular delight uh, to me to study, hopefully for you, to hear um, um, what God's Word has to say about salvation, about justification uh, through faith alone, um, what it means that Christ is really the good news, that His death has atoned for and taken care of all of our sins despite ourselves and regardless of how much we try to correct ourselves. In other words, it's not us at all, but it's all of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Because if it depended upon us, we'd all be ruined. There wouldn't be a single one of us that could stand before the living God and proclaim ourselves to be good enough. And yet Christ has always been worthy and his righteousness has been has been placed over us as if we stand in his righteousness because we have trusted in his death in his willingness to pay the penalty of our sins that that's the gospel and that that's the good news and as we have marched through all of romans we enter this last chapter that can kind of especially this first part that we'll look at today the first 16 verses of chapter 16 it could feel kind of like this long list of hey how's it going what's up how you doing make sure you say hi to this guy say hi to this guy too say hi to this gal you know it, it just seems like this whole list almost like sometimes you come to a genealogy in the scriptures whether it's in the old testament or in the gospels and you kind of think okay a bunch of names that are difficult to pronounce what do we do with this i remind you that it's inscripturated that the holy spirit that god himself has chosen to name these particular individuals for some purpose we, we don't we don't know many of them we don't know much about most of them but we do know this that the church in rome they found great comfort in knowing these brothers and sisters, not just for their salvation, but their service for the Lord. We also know this. The great apostle, for all the work of the ministry that he accomplished, when we talk about chapter 15 and 16, that kind of reveals his ministry heart, that was chapter 15, and now just kind of his personal heart in chapter 16, we know this, that the great apostle had an amazing affection for God's people. Isn't it true that most often we find ourselves, maybe, maybe it's just a char- characterization that we place on people unfairly, but the, the intellectuals, right? The guys that are really smart, and not just really smart, but strongly opinionated about being smart because they know what's right. Those individuals we often think of as not necessarily good people people, right? You, you want the professor that's kind of loose. He kind of knows his stuff, but he's kind of cool to you versus the professor that is just all business he he loves the things that he knows and he's lo- he loves to lay it out for you his philosophy his thinking his 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 theories about all of this good stuff but he has no idea who you are he doesn't even look up at the class right he's just distant paul is not that guy he is a theologian par excellence He is a world traveler in terms of the gospel. But the thing that we learn in this last chapter of the book of Romans, in this particular section, verses 1 through 16, he is a people person. Man, it's like he opens the floodgates of, hey, would you say hi to so-and-so? And And would you greet so-and-so? And And, oh my goodness, can can you greet this person? 
And I remember this guy and his mom was so good to me. She's like my mom, right? And he has so much to lay out there. And I think there's something about that that is helpful to us. Listen, I, I will be the first to admit that this portion of Scripture will be in some ways less directly edifying. The only command you see repeated here over and over and over again is greet. 16 times. Greet, 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 and greet, right? 26 individuals that are named, two households, and possibly two or three house churches. There's like so many people, so many things, so many, all of it. And the main command constantly is just greet. Greet them for me. Greet these guys for me. Greet these guys for me. So yeah, there might not be a lot of direct application, but there's a lot for us to learn about those that are God's people, how they are commendable, how they are exemplary, and how they are beloved. So that's actually our outline. Let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll dive in if I can get my business going here. There we go. Commended, exemplary, beloved, and then again, affectionate fellowship. So let, let's pray. I'm not going to read it. It's a long one. And we're going to look at all of it as we go. And so let me pray for us. And we'll dive into this portion of scripture. Heavenly Father, as we approach the, the last two messages in, uh, um, in the letter to the Roman Christians. Lord, we're thankful for the, the wealth of theology that, that is unpacked um, in this particular letter. We thank you that your Holy Spirit has inspired these words to be true and absolutely inerrant, without error, and, and capable of transforming us. We thank you that even details like giving of thanks and appreciation of individuals, commending some, that we would think may not be that significant to us spiritually, is nevertheless inscripturated that we might gather some thoughts and think about these individuals and their great sacrifice of service and love for you. Lord, it is remarkable the individuals that we meet, that we will meet. It is remarkable the individuals that even live among us, Lord, that, that love the Lord more than their very lives. Oh, that we might, all of us, that claim the name of Jesus Christ, find a worthy commendation for the effort, the energy, the work, the love that we would have for the unbelieving world, but especially for those of the household of faith. And so, Lord, as we look to the scriptures today, we ask for your blessing that we might find insight and encouragement and examples, Lord, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to believe in the gospel and let it transform our, our thinking, our lifestyle, in all of our passions and pursuits. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's one particular commended servant that Paul will mention in verses 1 and 2, and I'll give it away right off the bat. Her name is Phoebe, right? And then there's a number of exemplary workers, meaning individuals that are foundational in the building up of churches that he'll mention in verses 3 to 7. And finally, there are um, a number of saints, just 
brothers and sisters in Christ, some of them workers, some of them acknowledged for their work, some of them just, you know, for being hospitable, some of them just that they're beloved, right? Some of them just that that's it, you know, that they're just, you know, just say hi to them, they're good people, right? And so just beloved saints in general named, right, that individuals that the Roman Christians would, would know and recognize. And finally, a final word in verse 16 of, uh, of us following through and greeting one another with a holy kiss. Uh-oh, right? A holy kiss. We've got to obey Scripture. We'll figure out what that means, all right? But let's begin here with uh, this idea of a commended servant. One particular servant, and her name is Phoebe, verses 1 and 2. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at, at Sencrie. Uh, I think it's Kencrie. Maybe it's St. Crete, I'm not sure. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So we have Phoebe, who is our, our, our first um, of, of many individuals that are named. And I'll try to give you at least something about everyone that is named. But just so that you know, we go from the individual that has the most written about them in Phoebe and then a number of workers and other things written about them. So it goes from the most information we have to the least. And that's why I broke it up into three categories. But Phoebe, Paul spends two verses on her because I think there's some very significant things, details, that we draw out from Phoebe and her example. First of all, Paul says, I commend Phoebe to you. So what, the, what is happening here is Paul is saying to the church in Rome... I want to give a commendation for Phoebe. And you might think, okay, well, that's kind of nice. I guess Paul kind of likes Phoebe. But the idea of a commendation, it, it, the word literally means to recommend or to introduce by way of personal friendship or trust. And the idea is to bring two trusted colleagues or friends together. What, what we see here is Paul commending Phoebe to the church there in Rome because of the fact, not only because she's a good worker and she has done so much uh, for the cause of the gospel, but because in a time where travel was dangerous, to say the least, you needed the hospitality of either friends or family or at the very least, individuals that you could trust because you have received a letter of commendation to show up in their home and because you have a mutual friend who is extending basically that, that, that trust that you have for this person to this home and so you meet new friends. This is how Christians traveled back then. You don't just check into the local motel, right? You don't look for the, the next Hilton in, you know, in Rome, what you do is you get a letter of commendation so you can arrive. The other thing this tells us about Phoebe is she is so entrusted by Paul that she is probably the bearer of this very letter, right? Because that's what a letter would do. It would commend her, and if that's attached to this, the letter to the Roman Christians, then most likely she is the bearer of the actual written letter to the Roman Christians. Remember we teach, right, what Scripture teaches that God's word is inspired and inerrant. And when we define inerrancy, we always say inerrancy means that it is perfect and without errors in its original autographs, in the autographa. 
And what we mean is that when Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's writing, there's no mistake. He writes exactly what the Holy Spirit desires him to write, and that is perfectly God's word. She's bearing this. She's entrusted with this. Phoebe is. And she's taking this to the church in Rome. She is commended to them by Paul, the great apostle. But look at how she is mentioned. She is called in the second part of verse 1, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea. That is interesting because the term for servant there is our term diakonos. And so you wonder, okay, does that simply mean that she is a minister or does that mean that she's a female deacon? And I I lean heavily to the idea that she's a female deacon, and this is the reason why. If it just meant, as often the term diakonos would mean, right, that it's a servant of the Lord, that they're a minister of Jesus Christ, it would usually be, as I just said it, a servant of the Lord, right, a minister of Jesus Christ. Usually, throughout the New Testament, in fact, I can't think of a place where it is mentioned that someone is a minister, and it says they're a minister of a particular local church. It seems to insinuate that she held the office of a deacon at the church at Sancreate. And so, so you know, right? And I think it's, again, I think it's supposed to be pronounced Sancreate because when I looked at the Greek, that's how it's pronounced. But then I, I, I think I forever pronounce it Sancreate. So we'll just stick with Sancreate and you'll know that pronunciations might be off. But as a servant of the church, Sancreate is, um, is like the port city area just a little bit outside um, of, of Corinth. In fact, if you were traveling by, by water, that's where you would arrive, and then you would go into the city of Corinth. So she was probably part of, of the church of Corinth. And remember, that's where Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter from Corinth, sending it by way of Phoebe to the Roman Christians, and she is probably a servant of the church there, meaning that she's a deacon. Our church holds to the idea that the office of deacon can be held by both men and women, right? In 1 Timothy 3.11, um, our ESV says wives also, but we believe that that term is meant to mean just women because the term for wife and women is interchangeable. And if that's the case, then what, what Paul seems to be suggesting is that while uh, elders can exclusively be male, right, must exclusively be male, deacons can be both male and female. And the term diakonos is masculine. There isn't a feminine version of it. So it makes sense that you say deacons ought to be this, this, and this, and women, meaning women deacons, because there is not a diakona, or diakonai, right? right? Like a female version of the term, right? And so it would be deacon and deacon. Um, and he refers to them merely as the women that are deacons there, and she's entrusted that way, all right? This is amazing. So that's why I say she is a commended Deacon, I think that's that first phrase of, um, or that entirety of verse 1. But look at the second part of verse 2. And she is a worthy patron. Look at what it says. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints to help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul gives a direct charge to the Roman Christians to welcome her. It means to literally to receive her. And the idea is that they are to care for her because, as we said, in an age where travel can be somewhat dangerous, right, um, the fact that they might assist her, might bring her in, might appreciate her and provide for her in terms of her needs, in terms of safety, etc., 
Paul's literally asking a church to give hospitality to a stranger that shows up among them. That's interesting, right? Because let me ask you something. If, if, if it turned out that there was certain missionaries that I had met that I really appreciate and they, for whatever reason, had to leave that country suddenly and they were going to show up here, would it be reasonable for you if I shot an email to the membership of IVC and said, hey, we need housing for a family of five, you know, for an indefinite period, but at least a month. You guys open to that? I mean, how many of us would find that, man, that's asking a little too much, you know? Like, yeah, I might have the room, but, but come on, man. Like, that's like, that's like, now you're meddling in our lives, like, you know? It's one thing that we have to talk about stuff on Sundays, but now you're asking me to open my home. That's exactly what Paul is doing to the Roman Christians. And you remember that the Roman Christians, according to chapter 1, were individuals that Paul had not met. All these people that he says hi to, that he greets, and he asks them to greet, he knows. But the rest of the, the family of God that is in Rome, he doesn't even know them. They're the ones he's commending Phoebe to and asking them to accept and to embrace her and to receive her into their home and lives. He says it this way, that you may welcome her in the Lord. So he feels like this is appropriate as as something that followers of the Lord Jesus Christ would do and in a way that is worthy of the saints, that it is certainly Christ-like, like a follower of Christ and what they would do. Secondly, it is worthy of those that call themselves holy ones, saints, Because why are they holy? Well, follow the argument in the book of Romans. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And only because Christ has died for them. His insinuation is those that have been bought by the precious blood of Christ who want to serve Him would naturally open their doors to fellow workers and people who care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, and help her in whatever way she might need. Um... From you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. There is an unstated need here because he says, Help her, and whatever is her need is the way that we might express that. And we don't know what that is, well, exactly what she might need. It is probably not material um, because she has been a patron, and that term for patron. Um, if it's used in a, in a more secular, classical context, it means this is the rich person, right? that sponsors the budding artist. Remember all those Renaissance artists that you guys um, read about or, you know, that you, you go and see their, their, their hangings and stuff like that? Most of those guys, if they had a decent living, it was because they had a patron, some rich family, uh, de' Medici's of Florence or someone, right? These guys pay for this person, this artist, just to do art because they love it. That's a patron. Someone that puts out not just, you know, their material, right, um, uh, capacities, but cares for this individual because they believe this individual has something to give to the world. Well, here's a patron, but of, of saints, of individuals like Paul. She is probably pretty well off, otherwise she wouldn't be noted as a patron. She's, a, she's like I said, an officer, a deacon at the church in, in Corinth, and she has been herself hospitable to many. She has some need. There is some reason why Paul has allowed her to bear the letter and to be there. And the point is, treat her with the honor and dignity that she deserves. She has been so kind and supportive of the cause of the gospel through apostles like Paul, through missionaries 
like Timothy and others. She is a patron of these. And so would you aid her in anything that she might possibly need? See, it's interesting because once we kind of establish that in terms of Phoebe, we, we see what that commendation is about. She's not, it's not just that she's an officer. She's an officer because she's a mature woman of Christ, a sister who has used all that she has, every resource that God has given to her, in such a way that she is willing to expand the kingdom of God through the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. She's worthy. And the church is encouraged. In fact, Paul obligates them to welcome her, meaning to embrace and receive her in, and to help her, to give her whatever it is that she is in need of so that she might continue to be a patron for many. That's that's wonderful. And I think something for us to learn, even just as believers, to figure out if if you're a young person, right, a student, and you eventually want to get a job, and maybe potentially settle down and have kids, own a home, or, you know, or, or whatever it is, that somewhere along the way, it dawns on you that some of your great ambition would be to open your home, or to open your life, or to open your checkbook, or to open you know, your energy, your time, your resource, for the sake of the things of the gospel and those that minister on behalf of the Lord throughout this world. This is about encouraging others, and Paul is connecting one encouragement, all right, one encouraging um, servant of Christ to a church that he believes are serving Christ. That's the commendation of a particular servant named Phoebe. Phoebe's a good name. We have one Phoebe at our church, and she's very sweet, all right? But Phoebe is an excellent name when names, as names go, all right? Because at least in the New Testament, she's just commended for her patronage and her willingness, her servanthood, and her service to the cause of Jesus Christ in the church. So that's our commended servant. Secondly, in verses 3 to 7, we see exemplary workers. Exemplary, exemplary workers. And I think what's happening, at, at least as Paul is saying, greet this person and greet that person, because again, we're going to see like 16 greet somebody's, right? But as that's happening, what, what, what's, what, what he does, I think, is he's kind of going from those that he knows most well that are most personally connected with him um, to those that he knows somewhat. In fact, by the time we get to point three, the beloved saints, many of those, you get the impression that Paul just kind of knows them by name. But these individuals, he actually knows. These are the exemplary workers. And we begin, right, we begin with Priscilla and Aquila. Verse three. Greet, and here's the first of 16 commands to greet. Priscilla, or Presca, sorry, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, I say Presca, and sometimes I'll slip and say Priscilla, uh, Priscilla because Priscilla is what um, the, the book of Acts calls Presca. Presca would be probably her, her actual name, you know, her birth name. Priscilla, that, that Illa part, is a diminutive form. It's, it's kind of like saying, you know, um, her name is Carmen, and you call her Carmenita, right? Like, it's kind of like, it just makes it cute. And so she was probably known well to her friends as Priscilla, but as Paul writes, I guess Paul trying to be a little more formal, uses her proper name and calls her Presca. But nevertheless, the same people, the same couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And he calls them, in the first point under Priscilla and Aquila, in verse 3, he calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Fellow workers is one word in the Greek. And you attach a prefix that means together, right? 
ergoi, which means to work or worker, right? It's fellow worker, together worker. It's a, it's a beautiful term. He uses it for a couple of people in, uh, in the context of all these greetings. And it's to say that, that, that Paul is not their boss. They're not his subservience. They are co-workers, meaning that they are the same as him. He puts them on the same level for the cause of the gospel as he himself. Now give me a little background on Priscilla and Aquila. Um, a lot of it comes from the book of Acts, starting in Acts 18. But um, this, this is a couple that um, more often than not is named in that order. Priscilla first and then Aquila. And you think, oh, what's the big deal? Well, because um, the custom was you always named the husband first, right? It's Nam and Kathy. And I, 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 I think we follow, I, I follow that. If I send you guys um, a Christmas card, I'll usually put Gary and Chie. But if I'm mad at Gary, I might put like Chie and Gary, <laughs> right? Or I might put Chie and that guy that she married, right? Or something, right? Like we have a reason for the order that we put stuff. And there seems to be some precedent to say that there's something about Priscilla, whether, you know, she was the, the kind and more expressive one or something that kind of placed her first. Right in many of the listing of this couple. But this couple um, were Roman citizens, or they, let me say it this way, they lived in Rome, and then they were kicked out, along with many Jews, especially uh, Jews that, that hated the things of Christ or that loved the things of Christ. There was an edict of Claudius the emperor in, uh, um, uh, what year was that? In AD 49, and this is what it says. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Christus, that'd be Christ, right? He, Claudius, expelled them from Rome. He literally said, hey, if you're Jewish and you're mad at Christus, or if you're Jewish and you claim to be followers of Christus, get out. All of you get out. So they had to leave their home. And this was Priscilla and Aquila. They had to leave Rome. So they are now back in Rome. That's what's happening. And the reason why they're back in Rome is because, because uh, Claudius, the emperor, right, that edict was in A.D. 54. That was in year 54. But then he dies around A.D. 57. So if he's dead, then the edict, I'm sorry, the edict was passed in 49. And he dies in 54. And so by the time this letter is written, it's 57, they've probably been back a year or two. Do you guys follow that? I know it's a little bit more history than you care about, but it, it, I, I find it fascinating, right? Priscilla and Aquila were Romans. They were compelled to leave Rome because of the edict of, uh, of uh, AD 49. Um, and because they left Rome, we catch up with them in Acts 18, right? And it says there in Acts 18, verse 2, that Paul finds a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, which is a region of Rome, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, what trade? They were tent makers. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So they worked together. So Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, converts for the things of Christ. They minister together as tent makers. We use that term for missionaries that work while they are trying to share the gospel in different areas, we get that term from actual makers of tents, Paul and Aquila, right? They would, they would make tents, 
sell them, and then at the same time proclaim the gospel. And they worked there in Corinth for, for uh, probably many months, maybe years, and then, and then they, they moved on to Ephesus. And Paul leaves them to continue the ministry at Ephesus, and apparently around A.D. 57, they returned right, back home to Rome. So they've been all over the place. But they're instrumental in their ministry with Paul and alongside Paul. In fact, to the point that they helped Apollos, they explained to him the way of God more accurately according to Acts 18.26. This was an excellent missionary ministering couple. The other thing that we know about them is, um, um, is the next part. Not only were they fellow workers, in verse 3, um, but they risked their own necks. Look at verse 4. Who risked their necks for my life, to whom, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. We don't know exactly what Paul is talking about. It could be that when they're at Ephesus, remember there's that silversmith's right? right? They got all mad, like, hey, you're bothering our business. We want to kill you. You know, it could have been that time. But Paul claims that at the risk of their own lives, they rescued Paul. They are precious to him for a number of reasons, not only because they are fellow workers and lovers of Jesus Christ and missionaries just like him, but they rescued his life. They literally, and the Greek literally says they risked their necks. I don't know if that's where we get our our idiom from, but I, I just thought, man, that's a weird translation. Like, whatever it says, why would our English translators use our English idiom? That's weird, you know? They put their necks out, you know? And, but that, it actually says they risked their necks right? For my life. Um, Meaning that they could have been killed to rescue me. So these are individuals that um, personally um, have taken great risk for the cause of the gospel and to save the the, the gospel messenger of the Apostle Paul. And they served the church. Look at verse 4 and 5, right? To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They rescued the Apostle to the Gentiles and all the churches of the Gentiles also give thanks for them. The church in Corinth, right, where they first started ministry with Paul. The church at Ephesus, where they are well known um, and where they ended up helping Apollos. And now here they are back in Rome. So this is is Paul saying, you know, greet also the church in their house in verse 5. They are a blessing in terms of their service to the church. They host, right, the church in their home. Now, we should understand that they are back in Rome. So this is in Rome. In 1 Corinthians, it is also mentioned that they host, right, the church in their home. That was when they were in Ephesus. So one, Priscilla and Aquila, they got some cash, right? Like even though they've been kicked out of Rome, they just got a house in Ephesus. Or maybe they just bought a house in Ephesus. I don't know. And they're like, hey, the church needs a place to meet. You know, you know, the church did not have, there was no building called a church, right, for the first century. Um, they just used whatever properties are available to them, and almost always it was someone's large home. Priscilla and Aquila was part of that equation. And in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, at least a segment of the church, we don't know how many, right, they met there. And then when they get to Rome, they go back to their home, and they're great. What, what happens? Come on. Everybody come in. We're going to, the church meets here. These are exceptional, um, exemplary workers, right? Fellow workers, risk their lives, serve the church everywhere they go. Their entire life is catered around around the cause of the gospel. 
That's how God has impacted them and how they serve others. That's tremendous. This Priscilla and Aquila. The second one in this uh, second grouping is um, um, Apennatus. Apennatus. Greet my beloved Apennatus, um, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. This is the second part of verse 5. He calls him beloved, and there will be many that he calls beloved, just uh, emphasizing the fact that he loves um, so many of these saints, um, suggesting he knows them personally. And he says, my beloved uh, Apennatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. <clears throat> the term for first convert there is a term that literally means first fruits. It suggests that he was the first of many, and it's not the emphasis in chronology so much as proportionality. It's kind of like he was the first domino, and then, man, the whole thing just sprung out, right? He was, he was the first leak in the dam, and then, boom, the whole thing just opened, and the floodgates just tore apart, and the waters just began to flow. The point and the emphasis is he's the first, and he began to be the first of many, and apparently he has found himself, in terms of the ministry of the cause of Christ, he has found himself all the way in Rome. So this is a brother that was the first convert, in the Asian Gentile areas, probably Ephesus, maybe connected with um, um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And here he is now in Rome doing his ministry. So, beloved by Paul, first fruit in Asia. <clears throat> Third, we have um, Mary. And I love that because it's like the most natural and uh, most familiar name to us, right? Greet Mary, verse 6, who has worked hard for you. And listen, there's no shortage of Marys in the New Testament or in our lives, right? We know a lot of Marys. You probably know a lot of Marys. I know a lot of Marys. Thankful for most of them, right? That, that's wonderful. It's a great name because there's so many Marys in the New Testament that have done so much. With this one, whoever she is, her reputation was that she was a hard worker. It says, who has worked hard for you? That's a great translation. Kapiao, um, it means to work it, it doesn't mean, like, like you know, we, we, like our kids, right? Like uh, my boys, they have finals this week, and they'll tell me, oh, I, I have some work to do. And you know what that sounds like to me? It's like, I'm going to read a little, I'm going to get a snack. I'm gonna, you, you know what I mean? There's that kind of work. And then there's like, you know, if, if you know, a, a construction worker or a day laborer says, oh, man, I got some work to do. And that usually means like, you know, back breaking, right? Bow, brow sweating. That's the term. It's not the at my time, at my leisure, I kind of look at stuff. It is the hard work, and that's why it's translated that way. Whoever Mary was, she had a reputation for working hard for the sake of the gospel in the church of Rome. Paul had met her at some point, and he just wants to say greet her because she's a hard worker, and that's what she re he remembers about her. She worked hard, and in particular, she worked hard for you. The Roman Christians recognized her as well as a hardworking sister in Christ. We don't know anything about her. Is she tall? Is she short? You know? Is she, you know, I don't know. Is she strong? Is she athletic? Right? Does she smell good? Does she have long hair? I mean, I, I don't know. But we know she worked hard, right? Another um, pair of workers, and that's uh, Andronicus and Junia. Greet Adronagus, is verse 7, and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Kinsmen and fellow prisoners. Let me first say Andronica and Junia, because they're mentioned together. It's probably a husband and wife team, 
All right? And he says, they are my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. That's the first part of verse 7. It means kinsmen means that they're fellow Jews. Their names are very Greek. And so what does that tell you? That tells you immediately they're Hellenistic Jews. That they were Jewish people, but maybe didn't follow all the Jewish things, right? Their name's not Saul of Tarsus, right? It's, it's not Johann, right? It, it, their name is Andronicus, right? And Junia, actually, that's, that's, I think that's Latin, not, not Greek, right? They have very, you know, secular names as far as Jews are concerned. And nevertheless, they're his kinsmen, redeemed by the blood of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, and fellow prisoners. It's an interesting term. It suggests that in their service for Christ, there came a time when Paul and Andronicus and Junia either shared cell rooms, like they're in the same jail, or they similarly, like Paul, suffered prison time for the cause of the gospel. Husband and wife team sent, you know, did jail time. Why? Because of who Jesus Christ is. Um, the second part, right? They were prominent missionaries. Um, I say they're prominent missionaries, but um, look, at, look at the second part of verse 7. It says, They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Let me say first something about that last part. They were in Christ before me. What that tells us is that more likely than not, um, these individuals, this, comp- this, this couple, um, they were converted before Paul was converted and before he was a missionary. He highlights that as well as the fact that they are well known to the apostles to, to suggest that they were part of a very early movement, right? An early conversion of these, you, you know, these Jews that were very Hellenistic, that were more secular. Why is that significant? Because I, th- I think it, it tells us, one, that they were prominent even before Paul was prominent and suggested these guys, um, these guys were early, not just adopters, but like, you know, proponents of the gospel. And that's why they suffered. That's why they were imprisoned. And they're probably at least initially imprisoned by people that were just like Saul of Tarsus. You know? How dare these Jews talk about this Jesus as the Messiah? That's dumb. Put them in jail. That's probably the reason why they spent jail time. So they should be, in a lot of ways, political and social enemies with Paul, who was formerly Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of Jewish Christians. But instead, they are precious kinsmen, fellow prisoners, and they are well-known to the apostles. That phrase, well-known to the apostles, it literally means that they were notable either to the apostles, the apostles all knew them, or it means they were notable among the apostles, meaning they were apostles. And I know you think like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can't be have no couple being an apostle? That's weird, right? And it is weird. If we're talking about those select individuals that are the apostles, the 12, and then Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. That's not what Paul is saying, but sometimes Paul will use that same term, um, apostolos. He'll use the term apostle for missionaries. And our English translation just translates missionary. And I think that's what it should be translated. They're well known as missionaries, prominent ones. They went to jail. <clears throat> Priscilla and Aquila, as far as we know, they never went to jail. This couple, they served jail time for the cause of Christ. Prominent members of uh, the gospel preaching community. Exemplary workers, right? So those are our exemplary workers in this one. Don't worry. We're going to fly through them because they're a lot faster. Um, or if you want, we could go really slow. 
if that, that would please you, right? Um, the, the beloved saints. This is a longer grouping of uh, verses 8 through 15. And, uh, and as we walk through this, again, notice the greet, the greet, the greet. It's personal to Paul that these fellow workers of Christ should be recognized. See, it is for the sake of the Romans as they read them, because as we read them, we're like, who are these guys? I don't know. We have some guesses, but that's it. But the Romans would know them. This would be like if I received a letter, I don't, I don't know, we don't, we don't have an apostle, right? But from the, the SBC, right, from our denomination, and, and they just wanted to say, hey, we just want to commend, right, and um, just appreciate these individuals. They just started naming guys that we know in the congregation. We're like, what? What did she do? That's awesome, right? Like, you know, it'd be like just receiving this commendation, this encouragement. These guys are good examples for us to follow because they're saints. They love the Lord <coughs> Excuse me. And they serve him well. Don't worry, it's not COVID. Um, I know we have, we have to say that constantly now, right? Let's, let's walk through the list real fast, all right? Um, Ampliatus. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. That's all we got. He's just beloved Christian um, in the Lord. But we can say a couple of things. His name is inscribed, right? Ampliatus. It's, it might be him, and we think it's him, in a second century catacomb tomb uh, of Domitilia, right? And I know that's all historical, but this is what that means. There's a prominent clan or household, right, in Rome. So it's a rich, politically connected family, Domitilia, right? And in the catacomb graves, that a lot of the Christians, right, they kind of have to run through and, and stuff like that at some point, right? There is an inscription with this guy's name, Ampliatus. And it suggests that he was a slave or maybe a freed slave, but still a servant in one of the most powerful households in Rome of his day. He was well connected. He died, and the Christians in Rome honored him. Do you get that saying? That's interesting, right? So that's why I'm saying he's a beloved Christian in a Roman household, a particularly prominent Roman household. That's all we know about him. God bless him. And, and Paul is pointing out his significance by saying, greet him. Then there's two more um, in verses 9. Um, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and our beloved Stichius. Interesting. Uh, Urbanus is a fellow worker, um, in, in, uh, and I put again, in imperial in the imperial household, all right? The reason why I put imperial household for all these is because back in those days, you don't just have names. Those names usually are significant, right? Onesimus, um, Philemon, right? Uh, in the book of Philemon, Onesimus literally means useful. It, it's a name you would give to a slave. That wouldn't, be the, the, you know, that wouldn't be the given name that he was born with to his mother. He, he's either born into slavery or he sold into slavery. As a result, his name is useful one, all right? And so those kind of names are listed here. Urbanus is one of those. He would be, by name, if our best guess had to be put forward, was probably a household, a servant of a household in Rome. He's a fellow worker in Christ, but he's probably a slave, or maybe he was freed, but part of the imperial staff. That, that was the guess of the early um, church, and many of the preachers of the early church guessed that he was um, a Christian, converted who was a servant in one of the great households, just like Ampliatus was, right? Stachus, right? Stachius, thank you, Stachius. He says, my beloved Stachius. What do we know about him? Paul loves him, 
That's it. His name literally means ear of grain. So that doesn't help us. But it does tell us that, again, it's another name that is connected directly to the name that would be given to a servant, a household servant. And Lightfoot, one great commentator in the New Testament, mentions that there's one person with his name holding an important office in an imperial household according to, um, um, to old uh, um, uh, Roman records, historic records. And so he may be that. So you're talking about politicians, servants, right? Guys that have prominence in Rome, all converted Christians and serving the Lord. Beloved saints, right? Um, the next grouping, verse 10, you have a palace, right, and a, and a household of Aristobulus, Aristobulus, too many syllables, right? You have a palace who, all that's said of him in verse 10 is greet a palace who is approved in Christ. <laughs> Just approved, brother, you know, I, I don't know what that, but it's a good term. I don't know if you know that term well, approved, but it means that you have been um, proven. That's why it's approved. It means you've been proven, and usually through some drastic testing. It's a term that is used in, in metallurgical ways, like, like, you know, you get like a bunch of like, you know, gold. You got gold in the California gold rush. How do you get the gold separated from all the junk stuff? You boil it. It's refined by fire. And Scripture often uses that terminology. That's what this, that, that term means. He's approved in Christ. which suggests that whoever Apelles was, um, he faced some very life-threatening danger or some tremendous difficulty in his proven character in terms of his faithful service to Christ. We don't know anything about him. But he'd gone through a lot and he's approved in Christ. Right? Um, Aristobulus' household. See, I want you to catch something there. That next part of verse 10. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. It doesn't say greet Aristobulus. He's either dead or maybe he's not a believer. This is his household. It's not a greeting to him, but to send greetings of the clan, the group that is associated with him. It's a group commendation. It turns out um, Aristobulus is the name of the grandson of Herod the Great, who ended his days in Rome as a private citizen. Why does this matter? Because what would typically happen is you're a very important person and you have a number of slaves and servants, right? And when you die, what you do is you often, especially if you're in Rome, you, you concede those, you send those servants off to serve the emperor Claudius. And it's likely that he passed away and that his household of servants went to the service of the emperor. And that's probably why Paul says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. There's probably a bunch of them. They identify themselves as that household, right? Um, as, you know, if, if it was, if it was uh, a Hogwarts, this is the group of the Slytherin or the, or the um, I can't even think of the other guy's name, the Hufflepuffers, right? Right, right? Whatever, right? Those guys. It is these guys, and they kind of group together, and they work together as a group. I love that. It's like, you know, like you think of like us, oh, the worship team dudes, guys that help with AV or something, you know? It's like a groups of them, and Paul is saying, greet those guys. Not because of the person that they're identified with or the thing that they're identified with necessarily, but because they serve, and as a group, they're worthy. Appreciate them, Right? So you have uh, Apelles, who is approved, Aristobulus' household, 
uh, who are servant Christians, right? Slave Christians and maybe freedmen Christians, meaning they were slaves and they're freed, but they're all in service, probably in Caesar's household. Interesting, right? Vast, vast, vast um, different and diverse groups of people. The next group is, his name is Herodian. Who does that remind you of? Well, of Herod. And he says of him, verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodian. He's Jewish. He's almost certainly either a descendant or in the household, in the service of Herod at some point. Um, the name is not attested in any Christian documents connected with Rome. So it may be a person that was freed from being a slave in Herod's household and that he just took the name Herodian, right? Because he had, he had no other name that he could identify himself with. So the name may be connected with something that is a form of life that is not so wonderful, but his life in Christ was. And Paul considers him, right, a, a Jewish Christian convert, a kinsman. And he says, make sure you recognize him, right? Greet him um, publicly. Um, then there's Narcissus, his household. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Nar- 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 Narcissus, right? Nar- Narcissus. Um, I love this. It says, those in the Lord who belong to this family. It's not that everyone in this family belongs to him, and in fact, not even Nar- Narcissus, right? But Narcissus was the name of a wealthy and powerful freedman who had been prominent under Claudius the emperor, but put to death early in Nero's reign. His slaves would have passed again to the emperor and have been designated by, name, by the name, the group would be designated by the name of Narcissus household. So again, these are probably slave, servant, Christians in the imperial household. Isn't it crazy how many of these guys are part of Caesar's household and service in Rome? And they're converted. The gospel had reached, right? The, 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 what we might have thought back in those days as the unreachable group. It's like saying, man, Washington, D.C. is crawling with a bunch of guys, civil servants that are believers and that love Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel. And I know some of you guys think, dude, that's calling you out your mind, right? Could happen. It happened then. It's amazing, right? Next, we have Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> I like that, right? And you, can, you, you immediately recognize that these names are very similar, Tryphena and Tryphosa. And... Um, they're feminine. Both of the names are feminine in terms of their word structure. And so it's just that they're sisters. Some think that they're, because the names are so very similar, that they might be twin sisters. And the word, the root word from which their name derives means delicate or dainty. Dainty twins, right? Now, twin names, I think twin names are awesome when they kind of sound similar. Like maybe a David and Darren, right? A Caitlin and Katie, um, Christopher and Andrew. <laughs> a couple of my favorite twins, but no, those names, their names, it should be Anthrofer and Andrew. I don't know. It's Christopher and Cranju. I don't know. <clears throat> but sometimes their names are put together so that you kind of know them well. But how ironic, right? Because it says, greet those workers in the Lord, right? T and T. And when it says greet those workers, that term for workers is the same, but kind of put in a verbal form. It's the same word for hard work that was used earlier. So see, think about that, right? Their name means dainty. They're the dainty twins, right? And what do we know about the dainty twins? Those women worked. 
They broke back, worked. I mean, they just like sweating and crazy and did all kinds. They worked. I love that, right? How ironic. Dainty one and dainty two did so much hard work in the church of Rome. The, the next one is uh, Persis. Persis. <clears throat> Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Again, um, same term used in a verbal form. Another hard worker in the Lord. The difference between T and T, dainty twins, right? And Persis is that it's said of the dainty twins, it uses a, a participle. It suggests that they are currently workers, hard workers. The dainty twins are currently hard workers in the things of the Lord. Persis had been working hard in the Lord. It's in the past tense. It it implies probably that Persis is older and maybe that he is not able to do as much ministry as he once did or maybe that he is ill or incapacitated. There's a little touch of that, that tenderness that, man, this guy was a faithful worker. This guy was a faithful worker, right? Dainty twins still working, but this guy was a faithful worker. I I love that. And just to pick up on that, and to appreciate these beloved saints. Then there was Rufus and Mom. All right? That's what it says. It says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has, who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus, the term, the name comes from the word red. And uh, um, what is interesting about him is, and again, there's a little bit of conjecture here, but do you remember Mark 15, that Jesus on the way to Golgotha, right? He's carrying his cross and he's stumbling. And so then the Roman soldiers, they just grab some dude that's watching, right? Some innocent dude and they force him to carry the cross. Do you remember his name? He has another Simon, Simon of Cyrene. But it says in Mark 15, 21, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So if this is the same Rufus, and it might be, then his father was the man that carried the cross of Jesus to Calvary for a segment of that, of that trip. And it left an impression upon him, so perhaps the father became a Christian and a follower of Christ, and his children did too. And the fact that Luke names the children, right? and this is the thing when you're reading the historical accounts, whenever someone is named, it is because the Christians receiving that letter must know them. Otherwise, why would you name them, right? This isn't a work of fiction. You don't just name people just for the sake of putting names out there, right? You can say, oh, it's that one dude, or, or there, was a, there was a brother in Christ who served this way. But if people know them, you name them because they're infamous and bad or because they're fellow saints and workers. This is probably, in my estimation, the son of Simon of Cyrene and all of them, um, followers of Jesus Christ. Rufus chosen in the Lord, Right? chosen in the Lord. If that's the case, the term chosen would be interesting because his dad was chosen to carry Jesus' cross for a little bit. And now this child is chosen in the sense of his salvation and service to Christ. Also his mother. So you got to add in mama, right? And mama was mama to me as well, Paul says, which is a wonderful commendation. And maybe she is lesser known because he doesn't name her, right? And that's my point. If you give a name, it's because people know. But mama of Rufus was like a mama to me. Um, hospitality, right? Um, well served and appreciated by Paul. Greet Rufus and his mama, because she was like my mom, right? Beloved. Um, and then you have uh, a whole list of guys: uh, Asyncritus, uh, Philegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, 
and the brothers, right? I just put the bros, right? Um, Greet all of these guys and the brothers who are with them. And again, we don't know much about them, but their names suggest that they were probably slaves or freed slaves. Um, These are common slave names here. And for some reason, they banded together. And uh, along with other brothers, and so there's a group of them, they're close friends that hung out, that they served, etc. And don't, don't hear this as cliques. I don't think the idea is that they were exclusive, these different groups of Christians, but that they had an identification, right? They were the group that came from West LA, or they're the, the group that came from, um, I don't know, from Valencia or something. They're a group of people, and they kind of knew each other for whatever reason that connected them, and they served well together so that they ought to be commended. I love that. Right? Entire groups. Verse 15, the same. All right? Um, and then you have uh, Philologus, right? Julia, Nerus, Olympus, and then the saints. Verse 15. All right? Um, Philologus is, is a guy's name. Julia is a girl's name. So it's probable that this is husband and wife. Nereus and his sister Olympus suggest that maybe these are their kids. Right? A brother and sister. And then all the saints who are with them. And that probably Im- implicates that it is a family that follows Christ and that the church met in their home. That's, that's, that's wonderful. They are strongly condem- uh, commended by Paul and he sends greetings to them because they are a Christ-following family and they serve the church in their home. Here's the last thing and maybe the, the concluding part of what all of this list is meant to be. Paul ends with a call to affectionate fellowship. All right, verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. There have been 15 instances of greet, 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 and they all have been in the active voice. This is the first time that it is used in the middle voice, suggesting that it is, an, it is a, a kind of reciprocated greet. He is saying, I'm not just telling you guys to greet these individuals on my behalf going forward in one direction. I'm saying now to all of you Christians, greet each other. Let the greeting go out from you for you, right? Let it be among us all. Let us greet all of us, one another, and to do that with a holy kiss. It's simply a sign of great affection, right? Um, I was looking that up, like what people greet each other with kisses. There's a lot of cultures in our society, in our, in our day that still do. Right? Some of our European friends and our Latin American friends, right? people in Mexico and Colombia, for example, they'll come and they'll just give each other a quick kiss on the cheek, just one, that's sufficient. In Italy, Hungary, Brazil, on the other hand, you get a kiss, a kiss on each cheek, right? And that, that's kind of considered kind. In Ecuador, uh, women will greet each other, but with one kiss and only on the right cheek, right? I don't know what happens if you kiss on the left cheek. How dare you, you know, but, you know, you got to kiss only on the right cheek. In Netherlands, Switzerland, Slovenia, and other places, three kisses. So they go on, they go on all hog wild in, right? It's like, right? You got to do three. You can imagine if you have a large party, right? The host, like, saying greetings to everybody. It's like 30 minutes of just kissing three times on everybody's cheek to get them out of there. And if you ever find yourselves in Scotland on New Year's Eve at the strike of midnight, dude, you got to kiss everybody. And it's just lip to lip. It's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Avoid Scotland at the turn of the year. Show up, you know, after the strike of midnight so you don't got to be kissing everybody. That's awkward. And it got awkward, right? 
It was usually held, according to church history, that men kiss men, women kiss men, women, that makes sense. But Tertullian refers to wife being kissed by any one of the brethren. Clement of Alexandria speaks of people who made the churches resound with kissing. And he points out that the shameless use of a kiss occasions foul suspicions and evil reports. This led to the restriction of greeting each other with a kiss and the general abandonment of the practice altogether. Right? It is assumed that the holy kiss was customary in churches right, in the time of Paul. And I think Paul is not encouraging a particular physical act as he's encouraging the act of affection. Well, some of you guys, you know, um, it might be just, you know, a head nod. What's up, man? What's up? You know, acknowledging of each other. It might, it might be a fist bump, right? It might be like I'll go up and I'll just kind of like elbow or shoulder bump, you know, some of the bros. It might be that, it might be that side hug that you give some of the sisters or some of the brothers, right? But there's some Christians that I know that are dear to me that I haven't seen in a while and I'll put out my hand to shake their hand and they just hug on you, you know? And you're like, you're like oh, and you're doing that awkward, I'm shaking your hand while you're hugging me kind of thing, right? The point is, there should be an affection amongst fellowship. Listen to all of these, greet this person and this person and this person. I don't think Paul just means to say, hey, Gary, Paul mentioned you by name, see you later. I think the idea is, hey, appreciate that person, appreciate that person, appreciate these guys, and appreciate the fellowship you have. Greet all of one another with holy affection because all the church of Christ sends that kind of greeting to you. It should be a common thing amongst Christians. We're not a bunch of, you know, stick in the mud kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, I don't like touching people. They have germs or, you know, you might have COVID. You know, you might all have COVID, right? Um, yeah, you might. But I think the point is that physical affection is part of what causes us to appreciate fellowship and encouragement and understanding of who people are and why they are valuable to us. And then one thing, and we'll close with this, that is the underlying factor in all of this is Jesus Christ. And we are in our Christmas time and we're thinking about the gift of the life of Christ because it foreshadows his death on a cross for us. And it is about the gospel that we who are sinners who deserve eternal punishment have been given eternal life instead, not because God pretended that we never sinned. No, he's too righteous for that. But he exacted every ounce of justice on his son. This, was, this is what ties all of these individuals that are named together to each other and to us for all time, right? And this is what ties those that are believers in Jesus Christ to one another in holy affection. If that's not something that you understand, you should look into that. You should ask about that. You should not leave or to, to walk around through your life thinking that this is just some cosmic accident, you should wonder why the person of Christ is so significant that people go to jail or die or spend their entire life serving his cause. It, it is, it is the, the unending testimony of those that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ that they seek to serve him right, with all of their life and being. And they find joy and satisfaction in doing it. So I call you to come bow your knee to repent and turn to Jesus Christ for life, for joy, and for fellowship. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we walk through an interesting and long list of individuals that the commendations that come for them are because of what you have done through your Son. We celebrate his birth and we celebrate his death and resurrection because he brings us 
forgiveness of sins. May the gospel, Lord, be the most prominent thing that distinguishes our pattern of living. In Jesus' name, amen.